Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Salt Radio, the world headquarters, of course, of you know what, common sense, in a world which appears to have gone completely and utterly mad. This morning we awoke to the new rules around masks being worn on public transport, but since I haven't been on or in either, I need to know what's going on out there. Some people seem to think that it's not much of an imposition, but most shopkeepers are not at all interested in enforcing it, or so we are told. So, what are they going to do? Are they going to call police on people? Seems pretty unlikely, doesn't it? Meanwhile, we await the latest news on the new variant, which we apparently still uh, don't have any real knowledge about at all. Lots of fingers are being crossed inside Downing Street. Boris Johnson has scheduled a press conference this afternoon, which they say will focus on the rollout of the booster jabs, and there's a debate on the coronavirus restrictions in the House of Commons later. Now, most of that will be about how long these particular rules are going to stay in place, what is actually a law, what is not a law, all of the things that you thought you knew but you're not absolutely sure about. We will try and bring you answers to all of that throughout the course of this show and very possibly the rest of the day uh, here at Talk Radio. The big questions for me are still these. What are you seeing out there? What is actually going on? What are you doing? Uh, what are you being told? How is it all looking? If you walk into a shop without a mask on, what happens to you? If you walk into a shop with a mask on, what happens to you? Uh, do you start shouting at people who are not wearing them? 0344 499 1000. It seems to me the biggest problem we have right now is division in our society. And it seems to me the biggest problem that the government is causing for our society is more division. And these kinds of rules make people angry with one another. They set people against one another. They tell people that one person is different from another simply because of what they're wearing. And that, to me, is a massive error, a massive mistake. We'll be joined by our favourite statistician, Jamie Jenkins, this morning with the latest numbers, the latest news on variants and how Britain is coping with what is going on. Mail on Sunday commentator and columnist Dan Hodges is here as well with his take on the events of the last few days. I'll also be asking him, what exactly was the point of that Labour shadow cabinet reshuffle yesterday, which came and went without anyone really noticing and seemed to go on for hours and hours and hours? And I still don't really know what it was all about. 0344-499-1000. Laura Dodsworth is here as well. She'll give her verdict on the latest COVID manoeuvring and the fear factor being ramped up. What could it possibly mean? LaDonna Harvey will bring us up to date with the first day of the Ghislaine Maxwell trial in New York. Kevin O'Sullivan's here with a word on the BBC, which has come in for more criticism over its bias. And insulate Britain, who are apparently back out on the streets in solidarity with their fellow travellers who are now in prison. Good place for it, as far as I'm concerned. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's go straight away without further ado uh, to Dan Hodges, Mail on Sunday commentator. Dan, a very good morning to you. Morning to you. I feel like I should start with Keir Starmer, but I'm not sure it's important enough. What do you think? (laughs) Uh, I, look, I think I think broadly, if you look at the changes that, that 
that were made. I think it's a stronger Labour Labour front bench team this morning. I have to say that's that's not really saying a huge amount because I think you know on times I've been on the program before. I think I and certainly another people, other loads of other people have identified. You know, a weak shadow cabinet was part of Steer Keir Starmer's problem, so it, it, it's not a huge step forward in, in that respect. I think what's interesting though is what it what it tells us again about Keir Starmer. I mean. It was it was handled very shambolically yesterday. It started off with the big row about the fact that he was cutting across a major uh, a major speech being given by Angela Rayner. So the whole Angela Rayner Keir Starmer psychodrama blew up again. Right. As you said, it took an inordinate amount of time to complete, which clearly shows that some people somewhere in the process were digging in, saying they weren't going to move or they didn't want particular jobs. But I think the broader thing is that this has taken Keir Starmer so long. Right. I mean, he could have made all of these changes, obviously, very at the very start of his leadership, mm. and that would have given his leadership momentum. And I think if you look at two of the big change, two of the big positions, Shadow Home Affairs and Shadow Chancellor, at the, at the start of his leadership, he brought in uh, Annalise Dodds, and he brought in Nick Thomas Simons. They were they were his two big appointments. And I actually remember saying at the time, that's quite a, that's quite a big gamble because these are two quite inexperienced mm. uh, inexperienced front benchers. They've both gone now because by common consent, neither of them were were effective. So I think more broadly, whilst it does it is a stronger team. People like Yvette Cooper is a good a good move. Johnny Reynolds, Pat McFadden. These are serious politicians. I think the real interesting thing is the question that it now leaves open about, as I say, about Keir Starmer and his broader, his broader political judgment. Mm. Well, this is the trouble because it seemed to me it was very kind of fitting uh, in the way that it all happened. Because I got a tip or a nod, I suppose, as you might say. I know that we in the media are not always on top of all the things that we should be on top of at all times. But at about something like quarter to 12 yesterday during the show, uh, I was told, oh, Keir Starmer's having a reshuffle. And I went, all right, um, we were going to talk to Peter Cardwell. And I said, well, let me know when something happens. And we got to quarter past 12 and nothing had happened. And I said, well, what's, is there anything happening? No, nothing's happened. So we got to like the end of the show and nothing had happened. And then I sent, went, I went out for lunch. Still nothing had happened. Finished lunch, went off to meet somebody else. Still nothing. You know, it took forever for the, really nothing to happen. And even when something did happen, it was kind of nothing, really. And I mean, I take your point because you're uh, like me, been one of these sad characters who's interested in all this stuff. But I mean, for most people, it means not a jot, does it? No, I don't think I don't think anyone is uh, is 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 wandering around the you know the supermarkets this morning, excitedly uh, discussing uh, uh, Jonathan Reynolds' uh, <laughs> promotion. Um, I, I think it would be foolish to pretend they were. But no, I mean, but this you know this stuff matters. And as we go forward, the fact that Labour's got more effective spokespeople. Well, it should matter. I agree with you. Roles, but it doesn't appear it, to. It, it, yeah, I, I, it doesn't matter. But it comes back to the, the fundamental the fundamental point. It, 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 it's great having all these people in the junior positions, but if the guy at the top is not himself cutting through, is not himself really driving forward, is not himself really capture, capturing the public imagination, and frankly, I, you know, I, 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 I would, I would love to be able to say we finally got an effective opposition. I just don't see Keir Starmer doing doing any of that at the moment, mm. and I think the problem, if you want to look at Labour's front bench now the biggest problem actually is probably Keir Starmer himself yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I was talking to somebody yesterday about the whole business of uh, of Tory sleaze and the whole you know PPE scandal and people getting contracts and companies that were given money by the government. And he and I mean, it's like an open goal. I mean, we were both saying, you know, and and we're not fans of Keir Starmer, neither of us, but we were both saying, surely that's what he should be hammering on about all the time. He should be going on every single television programme that he can get himself onto to ask questions about how is it possible that this bloke over here, who happened to be mates with Matt Hancock, has got now more millions in the bank than he had before COVID started. I mean, it's it's just a no-brainer, isn't it? But he doesn't do it. Well, there's a a specific reason why Keir Starmer's not really been effectively doing that, of, of course, which is... He's slightly hamstrung, especially on the whole second jobs thing, by the fact that he's had second jobs himself. Right. And I think, you know, that was part of the subtext to all this. If, if you've noticed, the person who has actually been pushing hardest on this and who has actually been making the running on, on, on sleeves within Labour has been Angela Rayner, mm. uh, Angela Rayner herself. She's the one that's been doing all the, all, all, all the heavy lifting on this. And one of the reasons, as I said, is because if Keir Starmer stands up, you know, we saw it, uh, we saw it last week at PMQs. If Pe- Keir Starmer stands up and starts banging on about second jobs, then the next question is, well, hang on, mate, you you had a second job y- yourself, and you were you were angling for a for a second job whilst you were on the front bench, mm. and according to Jeremy Corbyn's uh, uh, allies. Jeremy Corbyn had to step in and say, no, I don't think you should. I don't think you should do that after all. So again, it's just. It, 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 it's a further example about how Starmer can't quite, just can't quite hit it and just can't quite cut through in the way Labour should be doing, particularly at this point in the um, in mm. this, yeah. political Yeah, and I mean, of, of course, when it comes to these new restrictions, I've got a, a text here from uh, Jason Dudley, says, Mike, the biggest problem is the use of the Labour Party wanting more restrictions. And that's the thing, you know, they, they, they could go one of two ways, I suppose, on the, on this, uh, on the COVID situation. And they've always seemingly just sided more or less with the government on, a, on every single measure, apart from saying it should have been done sooner. Well, I think they've done two things, haven't they? I mean, I think I think part of the problem is that they've, in one sense, uh, you know, uh, attempted to support strict, stricter measures and always support the strictest measures while simultaneously trying to attack the government. Mm. And I mean, it was interesting. I was out in uh, I was out in Be- Bexley last week for the for the by-election talking to people. Yeah. And, and I noticed something there that I've noticed when I've been around the country to various local elections, by-elections, etc., et, et the people think other people may disagree with this but in the main people think boris and the government have done a done a decent job in trying to protect the country throughout the course of the course of the pandemic they obviously accept they've made mistakes but the but the basic message i get when i speak to people is look it, it came out of the blue they could nobody could have predicted could have predicted the covid crisis mm. they spent a lot of money you know, on fur- furlough elsewhere, trying to protect people. They've done a good job on the vaccines. They're doing a decent job on on, on, on booster. And they appreciate it's a, diff- you know, it's a difficult balance to be struck, trying to protect the public whilst, whilst keeping society functioning. And the fact that Labour keep trying to attack the government and trying to try to keep making political capital out of COVID is sim- at best, it's not working for Labour. I just don't think Labour's attacks are working. Mm. And at worst... It's making Labour look opportunist. The, the best thing Labour would do is just shut up about COVID now. Just shut up about it. Move in behind the government unless some really glaring error mm. is, is, is made and just talk about other things yeah. because they're not going to win on COVID. That's that's something 
Labour and Labour supporters are going to have to realise. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, up until this weekend and that press conference on Saturday, it felt like that was what everyone was doing. It felt like Boris Johnson was finally waking up to the fact that he had to start making some policies and some decisions which were outside of the COVID sort of bubble. Um, and he was going to have to start talking about different policies and things that he was actually elected to do. And suddenly now we've sort of been dragged back in, you know, Godfather 3 style into, you know, oh, God, you know, now you have to get some more PCR tests. If you travel abroad, you have to self-isolate. You have to have red list countries. You have to wear a mask again, you know. And it all just feels terribly depressing to a lot of people. Yeah, but I think the interesting thing, I mean, just sticking with, with, with Labour for a second, I mean, you put your finger on it. I mean, Boris has had an absolute... Has had an absolute nightmare. I mean, it's an absolute shocker. I mean, we had obviously we've had sleaze, we've had Pepper Pig Gate, yeah. we had, you know, COP twenty six, built a failure, up, which just a complete shambles. This parade of hypocrisy. Wow. You know, he's had these these big design, Tory MPs are tearing their hair out, cabinet ministers are tearing their hair out. You look at the opinion polls, and it's kind of they're level pegging. Mm. Now this is midterm. We're coming up to what is it? The third, the thirteenth year of a, a, a Tory government. Boris is all, all over the place. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Taxes are going up. Unemployment's been going up. Maybe not by as much as people feared, but it's still still going up. Mm. And Labour is still level. Now Labour should be 10, 15, yeah. 20 points ahead by now. Yeah. And and they're not. And there's a good reason for that. And it's Keir Starmer, I think. But stay where you are, Dan. We're going to take a short break. Dan Hodges is here from the Mail on Sunday. We're going to talk some more about these COVID restrictions. <laughs> This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Lord Dodsworth coming up just after 11 o'clock. Of course, we'll be talking to Jamie Jenkins in a little while as well. We'll get the latest from him on the new variants and the various different uh, figures that are coming in uh, on the COVID front. We're talking to Dan Hodges, Man on Sunday commentator, columnist, of course, as well. Dan, what, did you, what have you made so far of, of the response to what's been going on from South Africa? Because, you know, again, a lot of people are saying to me, what are you getting so worked up about? You know, it's just a few little restrictions on your life. You know, don't be such a baby. But actually, it's not quite as simple as that you know and I'm, I'm, I'm forgive me for being selfish about this I was going to take my family to America for Christmas to see my mother who I haven't seen for about two and a half years um, and the, the introduction once again of the PCR test means it's going to cost me about an extra 500 quid uh, when I come back to get all these tests done and a lot of people who are going away and who are planning a Christmas away because they haven't done it for two years are going why are we being penalised like this because it doesn't appear to make any sense well, look, I've got, I've got sympathy for the government over this because they're kind of damned if they do and they're damned yeah, if they I know. don't. Obviously, you know, obviously, we, we saw what happened, the criticism they got for not reacting fast enough to the to the Delta strain. But look, I I think a, a, a big part of this now, uh, you know, a big part of, as, as, we, as we move forward on this is retaining public consent. Yeah. And we, we, we've seen the appalling, you know, scenes we've seen across mainland Europe. And fortunately, we've we've managed to avoid all, all, all the mayhem mm. out there. I, I just think we, the government has introduced these measures. They're not draconian measures, but, but the, the government is, is, is reacting before we have the full facts yeah. on this. And the government is, is acknowledging we have the full facts on this. Now, what I want somebody to explain to me is what does happen if in a week's time, two weeks' time, and I think there are some signs this is where we're heading with this, 
we find out that actually this this variant is not the threat to public health that was perceived a week ago yeah right that maybe it's more transmissible but it is but it is less it it, 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 it is less virulent it has less sort of direct impact on public health yes. and the, and the, the existing vaccines do have a significant enough effect that we don't see a significant increase in hospitalizations and deaths mm. right and that does seem everyone to be, will, everyone, that does seem to be where it is headed. Yeah, and I, I, there are some tentative signs. That's where we're going. Everyone at that point, all the experts, all the government ministers, everyone who has gone in with this this strategy, will have been seen to have cried wolf, hmm. and that will be it. Then, it will be over, because it doesn't matter at that point what ministers say, as we move forward. You know, the most lethal variant of COVID something that could you know have us all dropping dead in the streets as you know as soon as we even look at each other or come within 10 feet of each mm. other would come sweeping across the planet and everyone's going to say oh come on now yeah we, we we've done this but you see that's so, what I, th- I think we're already there you see and that's my problem i know there are plenty I, I, of, I there, are, there are plenty of people I, who um, are still frightened and there are plenty of people who with with good reason will say well we're still working from home and we're not going to risk getting on the tube and all of that and they're very welcome to feel that way but i think more and more people now are like what you're just describing and and also uh, here's an, here's another point so everyone was saying oh fantastic we've you know we shut that we've shut you know we've We've introduced the red list. We've shut the airports, you know, blah, blah, blah. The the practical problem of this is, and this is actually something that the World Health Organization themselves say, no one's pointed out the World Health Health Organization have actually said, no, we don't think you should be shutting all the airports and introducing Mm. these travel bans. Because what happens is, you look at, we're calling it the South African variant. It's not the South African variant. It was just discovered by South African scientists. And as a result of it being discovered by South African scientists and South African scientists standing up and said, look, we've, we've got this variant here. I think we need to keep an eye on. Yeah. What's happened? South Africa has basically been declared a plague country. Yeah. Its citizens are, are, are being prevented from traveling. We're being prevented from going there. That's going to have a catastrophic effect on the South African mm. economy. And they're not very happy about it. Well, of course, they're not happy about it. We wouldn't be happy about it. What's going to happen when the next variant appears? What what country in its right mind mm. is going to stand up and warn the world if they know they're then going to right. be plunged into isolation? So, I, I mean, as you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm completely opposite to an anti-vaxxer or a lockdown denier. But I, I agree with you. I, I think the problem is we've got this default position now, which is we must always err on the side of caution. But what I'm concerned about is that by erring on the side of caution, we're actually storing up more prob- more and bigger problems for ourselves further down the line on this. Well, that's what I think, because, I mean, it's already had three names, this thing, right? It started out as a South African variant. It was the new variant for about five minutes, and now uh, it's, it's an anagram of moronic variant, whatever it's called, Omnicom. Or, uh, you know, and you just think, well, all of the information that you do have would suggest that it's not dangerous. Now, I understand that you might need to be uh, cautious and you might have to take precautions, but if the, 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 the soundings coming out of South Africa are more serious, you might take it more seriously but they don't really seem to be and it's been around for a while anyway no and and we let's let's go back to the beginning let's just take go back to the beginning before had this variant been uncovered at the start of at the start of this crisis Mm. would everybody have immediately basically locked down locked down the globe now some people say maybe maybe we maybe we should have done but we, we, we quite clearly wouldn't have done that and in terms of as ever 
striking the balance, which is what we've got to do now, striking the balance between living with the with, with, with the virus and getting on, you know, and getting on with our lives whilst protecting public health. I'm not sure this is this is striking the right balance. And, and you know, we're going to talk about masks, I'm sure. You know, I'm not again. I'm not entirely sure what how how mask wearing is going to significantly no. change and affect the spread of this new variant. Well, yeah. you might have seen at the weekend there was a, a, a sort of a video going around of, of all of the various different members of the government, including Matt Hancock, Chris Whitty, Patrick Valance, various others, um, saying that masks were effectively ineffective in most situations. All, of course, you know, things that they said in the past. And I understand that, you know, they, they might have changed their view. But right again, until about three or four weeks ago, people were pretty much going, well, wear one if you want, but it's not really going to make much difference. But, I mean, you know, OK, so I, we, we go out today. I get on the I get on the train, have to put my mask on, get off, take my mask off. What was that like? Was there anybody sort of enforcing it? No, I, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to. But I'm just saying this is what you do. So you get we're all supposed to get on, get on, get on, take our masks off. Go into a shop, put them, put the mask on. Yeah. Go out of the shop. We then go into a calf, and we take the mask off. And on, we you all might, sit around. You've missed out the two, ver- the two very oh, no. important factors there for for people who are modern like you and I. Uh, you'd obviously have to take the mask down to do the facial recognition on the iPhone to pay for whatever it was you were buying in the shop. <laughs> well, and yeah, and well, go. Yeah, and I mean, that's you know, just, you've got to yeah, do I mean, it. Otherwise, you can't pay. Yeah, that, no, that's the other thing. So. Y- y- you know, again, it's difficult. I understand the government's got to, got to try and do its best, but you know, if that's the law, and by the way, if that's the law, if the law is we got to wear masks, then we got but to wear masks. But is it though? Because but, I mean, we were told that last before this week, last week it was compulsory to wear a mask on the underground as well, and people were or were not doing it, and nobody was bothering them. Well, I mean, it was the law. I mean, if people were breaking the law, people were breaking the law. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't. Well, it's think a bylaw, can... isn't it, on the underground? It's not a law as such. That's the point. Well, uh, my understanding of bylaw is still a law, um, but uh, well, it's but not because it is, only applies in that particular instance on that particular piece of uh, transport. Yeah, but that's what I mean. But but that, if that's the bylaw on the tube and people aren't wearing masks on the tube, then the people who are not wearing a mask are breaking the law, and they've got to accept. You know, they've got to accept the consequences. I mean, we well, know, last we, week there weren't any consequences because all the people that weren't wearing them were, were quite happily walking around. And I was well, exactly. But, I mean, obviously, the government will say, "Well, last week we didn't know we didn't have the the new super killer variant roaming around." But brackets it, alleged. I mean, you know, I mean, it's I, very you know, confusing. I, I suppose is what my point is, Dan. Nobody really knows. Everyone I've asked, is it a law or not, doesn't really know. Yeah, but I mean, that's yeah. But, well, that, well, that might be the situation last week. But we, we all know. No, I mean, we know the score, right? We've all seen from now on. If you're on public transport, you're in a shop. You got to wear a mask. I don't think anyone can say that's con- that, 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 that they're particularly confused about No, but that you now. don't have to because yeah. you're going to be exempt and you don't have to explain why. So, well, if, well, if you're exempt, well, if you're exempt, exactly. I mean, but, you know. I mean, it doesn't sound much look, like a law to me, right? It, look, th- th- there is one other thing as well. I mean, again, you know, let, let, let's, let's just be clear about this. What are we being asked to do, right? We've been asked to wear a mask. Okay, I'm, I don't particularly think it's going to have any effect at all, a significant effect at all on the spread of the virus. But... You know, compared to where we were this time last year and what we were facing this mm. time last year, wearing a mask on a tube, wearing a mask on a train, that's not going to hurt me. You know, that's not going to, you know, so long yeah, as... Yeah, but I, I put it back into that same category of those halcyon days when you could only have a drink in a pub if you were sitting down and having eating a scotch egg. And you're kind of going, yeah, what, I mean, sorry? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're we're not back. We're not back to the Scotch egg rule. We're not back to the rule of two or four or six. We're not back to, you know, pretending we all live in the same house so we can have a drink together. You know, all that's gone. You know, so so long as we don't go back I mean, there, that's been ridiculous. Though, you know, that's. Yeah, I, 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 I can live with it. Well, listen, I'm laughing today and I was very grumpy yesterday, so something must be good. Um, Dan, thank you very much indeed. Dan Hodges uh, calling it as he sees it there, Man on Sunday commentator, of course. It is all a bit ridiculous, though, isn't it? Isn't it? Am I the only one that thinks that? I don't think I am. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. But let's talk now to Jamie Jenkins, our favourite statistician, of course, uh, formerly from the ONS, political commentator as well. Jamie, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I think it's nearly a year ago. We were on talking about the Kent variant. Remember I remember that, that. I remember those halcyon days. Well, I seem to remember last November, we couldn't do anything. I think all the pubs were shut. I seem to. I remember going back to my local here in uh, near, near the office uh, when I, when we first could in December. And I walked in and the landlord was sitting there, a guy called Pete, and I said, uh, I forgot what we're supposed to do, mate. I said, what, what was, <laughs> am I supposed to like walk over there, sit down, or can I go to the bar where they, they, they had some screens up where you could, could you order it? And he's like... And he's, he basically said, look, you're, you're in my pub, you do what you like. <laughs> so, well, um, well, but I, I think people I, are confused now, Mike, as well. I well, think this is the thing. Me. I was just asking Dan Hodges and everybody else that I ask about these kind of new rules about mask wearing in shops and, and public transport. Nobody's very sure what it all means, really. No, I would just probably worth reminding kind of the listeners and the viewers that these masks coming back in England in public transport and on in shops they've been in place in Wales and Scotland now since July they haven't really ever they have never stopped some people have I think more and more people have chosen not to do it but and the case rates between Wales Scotland and England if you track them and the trends obviously there's slight differences but the general trends pretty much exactly the same so if um if masks were so good at stopping kind of variants of covid Mm. why why aren't the cases significantly lower in Wales and England in fact they're actually higher right well you can say the same about many countries in Europe can't you where they've had masks wearing pretty much compulsorily uh, for a best part of a year and a half um and now they're some of the worst hit places yeah, and so the, I think some people say the masks work, some people say they don't. The evidence really is inconclusive, Mike. If you're looking at the data, mm. say you're not seeing any difference in Wales, Scotland and England. So so it's a bit a bit mental mm. on that. And then you look at these booster rollout now, and I think boosters for all is what's kind of been talked about. And you've mentioned the Prime Minister having a, a press conference today. I think let's start with some good news on the boosters, I suppose, is that when you start looking at the cases among elderly people who mm. had the vaccines first, since the booster rollout, they have been coming down. And the other good news is that the number of patients in hospital overall, this isn't getting covered a lot really, actually, Mike, is because of everybody, some of this this new variant is number of patients in hospitals coming down, new admissions are coming going are coming down as well. So and because more people are leaving hospitals are being discharged than going in. We are seeing the overall number of patients coming down. And with older people having testing positive less as well that's going to continue to bring the numbers down as well. So all the all the indicators there are pretty good. Now, for me, do you need to roll the boosters out across everybody? You know, there's a cost of doing all of this. Right. You know, vaccines are maybe free for the public, but they're not free overall because of the taxpayers' money. So I've recently, as we've discussed, Mike, had COVID. I've had an invite for a booster jab now in a few weeks' time, but I've obviously just had COVID, just recovered from it. Right. I've had two jabs. 
do I need to have a booster? I'm, mm. I'm not going to tell people if they should or shouldn't have vaccines, but I'm questioning if I would want to have a booster in a few weeks. What's the point when I've just topped up my antibodies? Right. And uh, also, the they, I mean, they're constantly changing the rules, aren't they? Because at one time they said, um, I think it was only a few weeks ago, we, you and I discussed it, I think, uh, the, the new Public Health England body, whatever it's called, was saying if you're um, a teenager and you've had COVID, you should wait three months before you get the jab presumably for some reason or other, in the same way that they're now basically saying, oh, don't worry about that five-month rule, you know, just go and get your booster, you know. So what was the five-month rule about and why has it changed? They never say why the circumstances have changed because well, all it looks like to me is this kind of headlong rush into trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Indeed, Mike. And they also said that it's a bit too dangerous to issue two doses for children. And yeah. then yesterday, yesterday that got announced. I don't think it covered as much because the main headlines were all about everybody can go and book a booster now. Mm. But, you know, they, they're pushing that out now to doses in some parts of the world. They're also looking to push vaccines for five year olds. Yeah. And, and and they're like, my, my, both my children had COVID when I had it. I caught off one of my sons. Yeah. And you wouldn't you wouldn't have known. And in fact, they seemed more kind of alive and upbeat. The fact they weren't in school playing on their computer games yeah. than ever. So, so you know, with all this vaccination for me, what's the the thing that's really going to push some people over the edge is that like Spain now, Mike, because of this new variant, have said that if you're not vaccinated, you can't even show if you've had a negative test yeah. if you're to go there now. But in yeah, Botswana, so if you've got a family, if you've got kids, you can't take them. Well, yeah, and in Botswana, four of the cases they identified there, Mike, um, actually were vaccinated. And yesterday, because they're talking about this new variant so much more transmissible. Now, they do test a lot of people less in Botswana. So, you know, you just put that caveat out there. Yesterday in Botswana, Mike, there were zero COVID cases, not just zero omni, the omnivariant. Oh, really? There were zero COVID yeah. cases. And, and they found these new variants there. And it's just thing. Cases have been going up in South Africa, but they have started changing the way they do the stats there, where they were including lateral flow tests. So I think the health officials in South Africa have said the UK are blowing this all out of proportion. I suppose if you're on the government side of things, you'd say, well, we've acted quickly this time because in the past we were criticised for not acting quickly on the borders. But bringing all of these measures, vaccines for all, and I've heard just now that the UK health chief, uh, Jenny Harris, who heads up the new um, health agency, is telling people to avoid unnecessary socialising. So what's the definition of that? Is this locked on by the back door? <laughs> unnecessary socialising. That sounds like something Boris Johnson's wife would have said to him. Can you mind, you know, uh, avoiding any unnecessary socialising? But this is the thing. Also, all this rubbish that people say, oh, because they're worried that they'll be criticised for not acting quickly enough. That, I don't believe that either, because they've never been bothered about people criticise them for anything and in fact the last time uh, they did lock everything down and they shut the airport supposedly three million people came through Heathrow and you're going well it doesn't sound like the airport was shut to me well Mike no I mean and you, you know you're looking at the migrant crossing we can't even control people coming no. in via thingies as well so how are you going to control well, all of that a few thousand of them coming through every week you know that's fine no problem at all don't worry about it you know don't even need to go through customs no, and, and then don't get me started on the first ministers in Scotland and Wales, Mike, because yesterday... Obviously well, it is St Andrew's Day Johnson. today, so it's a good reason to talk about Nicola Sturgeon. Yeah, and, and, and yesterday, Mike, written to Boris Johnson asking for an emergency COBRA meeting, but I suppose the main part of the letter there was talking about financial kind of support to if we reintroduce restrictions, so perhaps closing businesses. So if, if those countries were in charge of... If so, the ministers in charge of Wales and Scotland were in charge of the Treasury. I can guarantee, Mike, by Friday, the, 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 both countries would be back in a national lockdown. <laughs> Huge overreaction potentially yep. to the new variant, yep. which we're not really sure. The thing is, Mike, variants over time, you track pandemics over the last few centuries. 
the COVID itself is a virus that wants to survive. So if it kills everybody in the population, then the, the virus dies itself as well. So you tend to find they become more transmissible, but less deadly. Now, right. now that's not a bad thing overall, because fewer people die. Right. That might right. be what we see here. Some of the reports out of South Africa are heading in that direction, still early days. But this overreaction in terms of like potentially bringing in lockdowns, I think Mark Drakeford will probably jump on this one, Mike. He, he was talking a few back back in the summer months before we unlocked in Wales and you did in England. Mm. He was avoid telling people to avoid the Bristol variant and not go over the border. Yeah. And, you know, that world famous Bristol variant that nobody in Wales or Bristol ever heard about. No, I remember that. It's very, very strange times we are living in, and they're just as strange now as they were, but happily, hopefully, uh, you'll be right, and by the time two weeks goes by, uh, everything will be back to normal. Jamie, thanks very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins, independent statistician, political commentator there, of course, saying what a lot of us suspect is the case, which is basically that, in the end, uh, all viruses kind of peter out into a much more possibly transmissible version uh, of what was first in uh, the, in place, um, but it also is much weaker and much less likely to cause you any massive damage. That, I think, is the point. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. And it's a lovely Tuesday, so hello to Laura Dodsworth. Hello. hello. Good morning, good morning. You're looking morning. very well today. I think, don't I always? You do. You see, you all say that when I say you're looking well, as if to make me feel like somehow I've done something wrong. It's quite a good skill. Immediately put me on the back foot. Oh, I'm a woman. You're you a man. Are. You paid me a compliment. You went to dangerous territory, well, you know, you? Tonya, one way or another. Tonya and I were having this discussion the other week about how, um, you know, we need to talk more about the menopause. And, you know, Rod Stewart had suggested that men need lessons in it and all of that. And I said, well, the problem for most men is that they don't really get women at all. They just don't really understand. And we just kind of pretend to understand and we try to listen. And we try to make out that we have sympathy and all of that. But in the end, we are very different creatures, aren't we? Oh, oh well, I think we can be. I mean, lessons in the menopause. My God, you poor, poor That man. was Rod Stewart's idea. You know, good luck with that. Well, every good man who's got a good woman in his life has got mm. one right there to give him well, lessons also, in the menopause live it. as it happens. Well, this is the thing. It's like everything now that people say... It's a taboo subject, is it? Really? Every time I switch anything on, they're talking about the menopause. It doesn't seem very taboo to me. 
Oh, don't get me started. All right, then. It shouldn't be taboo, anyway. It isn't taboo. That's my point. No, no, but it, but it was, and I think it was until quite recently. Yeah. But... No, maybe. Not anymore, though. Mm. But I, I, look, don't stop the compliments. I'll try to not put you on the back foot okay, and just, just graciously accept it and say, well, thank you. Thank okay. you so much. There you are. All compliments. Great. See, you've received. even made that sound bad now. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about food for a change. And we'll get on to the mask debate later. <laughs> no, do you know what it is? It's just it can be a bit embarrassing receiving a compliment. So you make, I, you know, I can make some kind of like little sarcastic response. But yes. I do like it. I do like it. Don't okay. stop. Right. Yes, vegan burgers. Yes. Okay. I thought we should mix it up because we're always talking about flipping yeah. COVID, aren't Yeah, I we? agree. Definitely. Um, and well, something... you know, until last Saturday, more or less, or until the discovery of this new variant or whatever they want to call it, I thought we were all pretty much out of the woods. I thought we're going to start talking about lots of different things now because we're no longer there. So, let's oh, go. Mike, Mike, Mike. If imagine, only. Imagine, if my, only. imagine my surprise. Yeah. Um, well, this caught my eye. Mm. It's a small little number here, but um, the sales of plant-based meat products... I had to put air quotes around plant-based meat, because, right. I mean, what a weird well, term Well, it's not meat, is. is it, for a start? Photine, as I like to call it. Yes. So, um, the sales went down 1.8% in, in the four weeks in October compared to the previous year in, in the US. So this is a decline in sales, but what's interesting about it is the um, the plant-based meat industry thinks mm. their sales are just going to keep growing, and um, it didn't surprise me, but it, it has it has surprised the industry. And and here's what um, the chief executive of of one of the companies said. Um, he said that the chief executive of uh, I think it's Maple Leaf, one of the plant-based companies. He said. It's consumers' fault because mm. we're making fewer shopping trips, we're less open to trying new products, and we're less interested in healthy options. So it's basically our fault that we're not growing their profits. Oh, I see. We're not interested in right. the healthy options. Well, they say it's a healthy option, but I actually have no clue what is in any of this stuff, right? So it may not be healthy at all, as far as I know. Well, they do. I mean, they've done quite a lot of um, work and comparison to try and convince us it's healthier. Mm. But I, personally, I'm going to go with millennia of evolution. Mm. I, I like meat and humans have evolved to eat meat. And I, I'm not actually anti-vegetarian. I've toyed with vegetarianism a few times. I just haven't been able to stick to it. I completely get why people want Listen, to I've be vegetarian. Listen, I've eaten vegetarian food. You can have vegetarian pizza. You can have very yeah. nice vegetarian Indian food, which is fantastic. You know, yeah. you can have very nice um, salads and things like that. Mm. And, and there's plenty of vegetarian food that I would eat. But I just don't like the copying of meat products. Yeah. That somebody thinks they want to make it look like, like there's that burger that bleeds, right? So that it kind of replicates a, 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 a sort of you know medium rare hamburger, mm. and it supposedly has fake blood coming. Why would you? Why would you want to eat that? I don't know. I mean, I'd rather have an honest to goodness bean burger yeah. than a than a, a exactly. like a fake meat burger. Right. So I've tried one. When when he's not flirting with me, my boyfriend flirts with flexitarianism. And Does he, he? And he tried to persuade me that I would love a Beyond Burger. Yes. So you know we got this nice kind of summer barbecue. I I bring the rosé and an open mind. Mm. He. He's cheerfully <laughs> flipping Beyond Burgers. And How do you I really... even know when they're cooked? Because they look like they're kind of made of um, cardboard to me. Well, I like my actual burgers rare anyway, so right. I don't I don't really mind. They're, they're kind of strangely pink in the middle. They use beetroot juice That's to make right. them yeah. look like so, I mean, yeah. they're pink. Which I find very odd, indeed. Now, I'm surprised that he liked it because I didn't, I didn't like it at all. This is somebody who really dithers over choosing wine, won't drink Diet Coke. Right. I mean, agonises over the provenance of meat if he goes to the butcher. Mm. And he likes a Beyond Burger. Every fibre of my body was saying no when I ate it. Mm. I really didn't like it. Now, I know there are other people who like them, but I didn't like it. So I think that the, you know, the thing about this taste, you know, these sales are... They're not are, cheap either, are they? They're quite expensive, I think. 
I don't know, because I, it's just not the kind of thing I'd buy. Mm. Um, but, you know, the real taste test is the sales. The sales aren't going up, no. they're going down. And I think it's because... It's, it's not because fad. we're not it's interested in not, not in healthy options. It's because they're not really that nice. I think it's a fad as well. So people try it and then they go, yeah, it's all right. But, you know, I'd actually rather have a proper burger. And so, I mean, one of the things I got was a package of stuff. Dale Vince, who you might know is the, the, the guy in, in, down in the West Country who owns Ecotricity, um, very high profile, sort of vegan, runs a football team, the only vegan football team in the world. And he's a UN ambassador for climate change and all this kind of stuff, you know. Mm. Typical friend of mine. He sent me a load. He said, I'm going to send you a load because he's also got a line of, of vegan food. Sent me a load of it. And the mother of my children is a vegetarian, so she was quite happy. She um, didn't mind it, but all the burgers tasted a bit odd to me, and the kids didn't really like them. You know, there was a mushroom burger, which was basically a mushroom. It wasn't a burger at all. It was just a mushroom. Because um, <laughs> you can have a mushroom burger. It's one of those big mushrooms. Uh, there was one that was a sort of spicy, beanie type thing. But they just weren't very tasty, you know? I, I just wasn't keen. Well, you see, they're trying very hard to replicate the taste of beef. But, you know, you could just have beef. Surely the point of not being a, a, a meat eater is to not want the taste of that, isn't it? Well, I think they're trying to persuade those of us who do like meat because they're trying to, they're trying to say that we, we're making the switch as concerns. Mm. Concerns for the environment, concerns for animal oh, yeah. welfare. Now, I, I know there are some people who think that eating meat is bad for the planet, yeah. but I'm not one of those people. I'm not convinced by that argument. I'm a big supporter of British farming. Uh -huh. um, all the livestock we have is basically grass-fed in this country, and that creates the beautiful pastoral landscape that's our heritage, all the flora and the fauna that thrive within it, and mm. meat is good for you. One of Beyond Burger's big sales things is they talk about there's, there's no cholesterol in their burger, it's really low in saturated fat. Uh -huh. But that's not necessarily a good thing. Cholesterol's actually an essential nutrient. Uh. You need it to create hormones right. and for vitamin D. Well, Tony always says that fat isn't the problem, it's sugar. Sugar is the yeah. big problem. And what I don't know is what else is in some of this vegan food, because quite a lot of it appears to be processed to me. And if it's processed, then it's not good. I think, you know, there's this kind of saying that if your grandmother didn't eat it, then, then you shouldn't eat it. Mm. I mean, I would rather eat more. I suppose I'm kind of a simple girl, like simple ingredients, just cooked normally at yeah. home. And I don't really eat much processed food. And I think that's why this, no. this burger didn't didn't work for me. Anyway, it's well, not I working for the Well, I grew up at a time US. when it wasn't really that kind of food to eat anyway. So I, you know, I grew up on, we had some, we used to call it actually Graham soup. We used to have soup every night, which was <laughs> um, made in a pressure cooker. And it was always vegetable soup with barley and stuff like that. It was really nice. And I still make that. Um, and then we'd have mince and potatoes or, you know, stew yeah. or something like that. My mother wasn't a very good cook. She wasn't a particularly um, adventurous cook. But also there wasn't really that much food around. I remember when we, she, she suddenly started making spaghetti bolognese at some point or other. Um, which <gasps> exotic. Was very exotic <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember when the first pizza land opened in North London where I was living and I was like this is amazing you know, pizza you know I mean so we were brought up on a very different diet to my kids now because they, they simply have so much to choose from yeah I was brought up on the same kind of the same kind of food it's because our parents grew up post-war very very yeah. traditional English and not very food. rich and, and we ate a lot of soup as well I mean I still make a lot of soup for my kids soup too. is great I yeah. love soup yeah but the vegans wouldn't like how I make my soup because I do literally boil up bones to make the broth do you it's very good for you very yes. good for you and very tasty there's nothing wrong with that also no. a little bit of bacon in vegetable soup is also rather good bacon's good in everything yeah. isn't it let's it be really honest is. it really is so, so i'm afraid for those of you who enjoyed the cop 26 
um, scenario. By the way, somebody's asked this question already. I don't know what your view is, but mm. you know, could it be that there's any relation to this new variant and the COP26 business? Because there was a lot of people there from all over the world, including South Africa, I presume. Um, so you know, maybe that was where it all came from. I mean, personally, I haven't got caught away with the uh, the hysteria and the fear about the new variant. There is no evidence that the new variant evades the vaccine effectiveness. No. There is no evidence that it causes serious but, disease. But the way they describe that is we don't know if. Yeah. And but, when you don't know something, normally you wouldn't say anything about it, would you? No. And well, this is, this is part of the problem now. Um, and I have to say, it's something I wrote about in my book, A State of Fear, that the thing about using um, the thing about uh, the virus is that it's going to be able to produce variants forever. And unless we learn to just live with this, we can keep rinsing and repeating the same level of hysteria and restrictions in perpetuity. Mm. What I think is really concerning, actually, about the reintroduction of measures today. I mean, there's lots of things I think is concerning, but yeah. the thing I want to hone in on is that, you know, whatever you think about masks, minor inconvenience, great joy that they're back, a huge infringement of your liberties, whatever you think, they are an infringement of our liberties. Mm. We're being told what to wear. Yeah. Now, that was justified under emergency powers when we were in an emergency. This is not no. an emergency. So imposing restrictions again when we're not in an emergency uh. is, it's another new watershed in this whole debacle. It's actually tyrannical because there's no emergency to justify right. it. And not Because only... now they're saying wear one just in case, basically, effectively, aren't they? OK, let's rewind. Let's go back to 2018. If the government had said it is now the law that children have to wear masks in communal areas and schools and it's the law that you must wear masks in shops and transports because it, it might, I mean, we can't pull out the evidence, but it might reduce the risk of flu. Mm we would have thought our government had gone mad, right. okay? And in the absence of any absolute evidence that Omicron is an emergency, there's no justification no. for these measures. That's what I think. I know that people seem to be incredibly divided. Well, that's on the, the thing that worries me, is that by doing what they've done, they've once again made Britain even more divided than it was before because they've now created a two-tier society. Yeah. One full of people who think it's a good idea and two people who don't want to do it. It is this, this and both of them is... have, I'm sure, reasonable reasons for having that particular view that they have. It's just, but but, but the division is now there, and um, it's never yeah. going away. I'm finding the division really worrying. Yeah, Jenny Clare um, tweeted this week I that you that. know, would it be all right for her to punch someone in the face yeah. if they're not wearing a mask on the train? She's deleted it, so she probably regretted yeah. it. But that's so not I, the first time she's done something like that. She did something similar, didn't she, last year? But I'm mentioning it, even though she deleted it, because it's an example of somebody who's clearly like frightened, mm. angry, and expressing this real dehumanisation of people mm. that don't wear masks. So I published on my Substack one of the um, extracts from my book about somebody who can't wear a mask because they've got PTSD, right. because they've been raped, orally raped. Yeah. And for some people have very, very serious and tragic reasons mm -hmm. for not wearing a mask. Right. I mean, personally, I've got, I've got hearing loss. You wouldn't yeah. know. I've not told you before. But... I find being out and about with people wearing masks, particularly behind plexiglass, really, really hard. Yeah. And I find myself... Well, I find it very hard. And my, I mean, I don't think I've got hearing loss, but I'm, you know, my hearing probably is somewhat damaged by the fact that I've had you know, headphones stuck in my ears for about the last 15 years. But, you know, I find it very difficult sometimes to understand people. Mm. You know, in restaurants, if they're wearing a mask, I, I'm like, sorry, what do you, what do you, I don't know what they're saying. It is really hard. I, I mean, I find myself kind of like angling around the glass. Mm. 
and like turning my good ear towards somebody and then they're annoyed because I'm breaching their glass yeah. but I, I literally can't hear them right. otherwise so there are lots of reasons that people have got exemptions or they don't want to wear a mask but it was this division this division again that somebody would be worthy of being punched mm. because they're not wearing a mask this is so sad and actually it's when people are frightened this is when ideally they'd reach for some compassion yeah. and courage yes and that's not that's not what's happening. And also because of the uncertainty of it all, I think that makes people even more kind of anxious because they don't know what's coming next. I mean, I don't know, for example, whether uh, the third week that they say we're going to make another decision on what we're going to do, that they're going to suddenly turn around and go, actually, we're just going to shut everything down again. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't know. Well, I I'm going to. My hypothesis about this is one that I'd um, I'd written about earlier in the autumn, mm. that the whole point of the winter plan was all about plan B. Right. Plan A is just to prepare you for plan B. Right. And masks are the first gentle incursion into plan B to mm. prepare you for the fact that more plan B might be coming. Right. Because there literally is no reason to reintroduce masks. I know people that think that masks are efficacious are going to be shouting at the radio right now, but there really isn't. Um, yeah, but if they were efficacious, that would be one thing. But nobody said that they are really. No, so there's um, a, a Professor Naismith, he's at the University of Oxford, and he quite rightly pointed out that the ONS survey results on prevalence show us show us what's happening in, in Scotland and England mm. okay Scotland hasn't dropped masks England did so what is the difference on the transmission of Delta none right okay so we've actually had a bit of a live experiment going mm. so you know in addition to the abundant global evidence that masks don't work we've got our own little experiment going right. on in, in Scotland and, and if Wales. anything in fact the cases went up in Scotland didn't they but yeah, as opposed to ours, which kind of stayed flat. Well, we had high prevalence in both countries, so we don't have any real-life um, evidence that masks are working, mm. and yet children are going to be subjected to them again in schools. Yeah. Well, we've already heard from school um, um, from parents whose school children are being told they're wearing them in classroom as well. In fact, mm. I heard a teacher this morning saying, we don't really like it, but that's what we do. Um, but we, we don't want to introduce them into classrooms because it doesn't really work, and you can't really teach children who are wearing masks. Look, I have I have boys at school. They take one mask for the day, okay? Right. Goes on and off between communal areas and classrooms. Now, if you're going to wear a mask, you really must wash your hands and sanitise them before you put the mask on, yeah. okay? Then you should be washing and sanitising your hands before you take the mask off. Then it should put in a plastic bag and in a bin. Mm. Then you wash and sanitise right. your hands again. If you're not doing that, don't bother. Right. But they're not doing that. They're using they're the same one all day yeah. and they don't necessarily wash their hands they properly when they go the to the toilet either it's just yucky well there are some terrible things that go on in school toilets i mean just in terms of the cleanliness of them which you don't want to think about but yeah i mean it clearly is a bizarre situation we now find ourselves in i mean my, my, my kids school i see some of the kids coming out wearing a mask walking down the road wearing it and you're going really so some people think it's a great idea but i've always said you know if you want to do that do it Personal choice. You know, I know Tonya takes a different view, but I don't really mind. It's not, not my problem if you want to wear a mask, but don't start telling me that I have to. And this is why I'm asking people to tell me what's happening out there in the big wide world today, in shops and in, on the tube, mm. because if it has changed, and if it has now become a more enforceable law than it was, then we need to know that. Oh, it's about 50-50 on the train coming mm. in today. Which is what it would have been last week. I think there were more masks really? today, but not a lot more. Mm. Um, so it hasn't really kicked in yet, but today's the first day. I think the regulations yeah, the went days, live at 4am. Isn't the, the first day normally the day you'd expect to see it being kind of enforced, though, and then it would kind of, after about a week, it would sort of die down a bit. 
we'll see we'll see what happens but you know once again we've got to bring up the issue of hypocrisy yeah. because children are having to wear masks in school and yet um julia hartley brewer your own fabulous uh, presenter here reported she went to a crowded lunch at westminster yesterday yeah. boris johnson lots of mps present no masks right. well waiting staff yeah but not well, no, the not the people Nadine sitting Zahawi down for lunch goes to the teachers awards on the sunday night in london no masks everybody yeah. very happy mixing yeah. the next day teachers telling all the kids to put masks on and that's particularly that's a particularly difficult one to swallow actually because the teaching awards were great i i don't begrudge them having fun enjoying the teaching no, awards I'm very and not happy wearing for masks them. No, i'm very happy but for that's them. that's just november 28th but we're hearing reports about nativity plays yeah. being cancelled so little children mm. aren't getting their fun um, and their rites of passage right. and Christmas parties at school have been cancelled. I mean, for some school children, their proms were cancelled, so they were pushed forward to Christmas right. parties. And us for them, the campaigning group, have reported that they've had parents saying that these are being cancelled. Mm. This is so sad for children. Now, well, um, my own kids don't know really whether we're going to America or not. I mean, I think we are, and I'm hoping that we still are, but I don't know if we are. Mm. We're supposed to go on the 20th of December. They're going to announce apparently on the 18th whether anything's going to change. Yeah. For That's some, not right. For some it? people, this feels like a loosening and a tightening of the screws. Right. It, it feels like psychological torture. It because does. You would, you would hope your government says, this is for three weeks, mm. then we'll see, or this is for three weeks, then it's over. Right. And, and then they stick to it. But what we've had time and again is goalposts being moved, yeah. so people can't trust. It's what like they're mission told. creep, isn't it? That's what they did mission all last creep. year. Yeah, and it turned into July. Sorry, um, it turned into January of, of 2021, and then it was going to be a month, and it was two months, and it was three months, and it was I think it was May before we actually got everything back again, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Like the first four months of the year, you mm -hmm. couldn't do anything. Yeah, and I think particularly this time of year, Christmas, it really matters. Mm. I had somebody on the phone with me last week sobbing and sobbing yeah. because they didn't know if Christmas would happen. And some people might think that's trivial, but it's not because it's it's our most important cultural, religious, family event in the calendar. Yeah. And not knowing if it might be cancelled or not causes a lot of stress um, and and anxiety, and it's just it's just not fair to do that to people. And like I said, there's no evidence no. that this this variant merits it. But that's the thing. If there was, people might understand it more. But if the measures were more measured, people might understand it more. But the fact that you're only getting really two, it's almost as though they said, well, what can we do to make it look like we're doing something, mm. but which isn't really a massive imposition on everyone. And they've done the least thing that they could do, which is still a massive imposition on some people. Of course it is. And talking about things they can do to make people do things, mm. awkward segue, sorry. There was um, a really odd clip last night on Sky News. Yes. Um, Sajid Javid persuaded uh, John Craig, mm. the political uh, journalist at Sky, live on air to go and have his booster. Because he said he couldn't get one or something, didn't he? Well, he said it was too soon and Sajid Javid said, oh, no, no, you can have one. Right. And, and, he, and he made John Craig promise on air that he would have his booster and then kind of escorted him in to have it. Right. Now, this has gone down really well with some people who think it's this very heartwarming, genuine moment between our health minister who really cares about health mm. and a journalist and it's and it's kind of sweet, you know. Um, I didn't think it was sweet. I found it a bit odd because, well, first of all, persuading somebody while cameras are rolling to have a medical intervention yeah. feels a bit, I know, a bit creepy. It does. Um, 
this is the kind of thing that I've I've um, taught my children mm. not to do, right. which is to be persuaded by somebody when they, you know, if they might feel under pressure. Yeah. Um, and also, it's not really a news item. And I don't know if I would have noticed it quite so much, but recently we had that joint report, which was co-authored by Sky mm. and the government's Behavioural Insights team, where they talked about creating new segments to encourage behaviour change. Right. Now, that was in relation to climate. So I watched this and I think, has this been, has this been planned? Right. Is it natural? Mm. Is this Sky's idea of a new segment to encourage people to go and have their boosters? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just throwing the question out there. I found it a little bit... Odd. Is that supposed to make people rush out to book their boosters? Yeah, it is odd. It's very odd. The whole thing is odd. And I just find all of it very dispiriting, really. So, can't end on a happy note today. Oh, no. We should have... Do you know what? We should have done vegan burgers last. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't go out and have a vegan burger, I suppose. That would be some behavioural um, nudging, wouldn't it? Well, I, I wrote this article about vegan burgers yesterday, and then I had to make a ribeye steak for dinner. There you just, go. It, was, it was just on my head. It was Why yummy. Not? Yeah, I had a very nice one yesterday in a place in Borough Market. Very good indeed. Mm. So, uh, good to see you. Thank you Thank very you much very indeed. Much. Um, Christmas is coming, apparently. Uh, I don't think they're going to cancel it, are they? No, surely not. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So you might remember the press conference on Saturday. You might have watched it, you might not. I kind of reluctantly watched it because I thought we probably should just to see what was going to be said. And then roundly uh, afterwards, we all thought, God, I wish I hadn't bothered watching that. Now I'm just depressed. But they decided uh, that it would be a good idea to, instead of going to a panel of journalists or going to uh, somebody to report from the street, that they should interview Susan Mickey, a professor, a member of the government's behavioural advisory group called Spy B, which is, of course, part of SAGE. It's another one of these organisations that we'd never heard of until relatively recently. Uh, she's been a long-standing member of the Communist Party. She's not a doctor. She's not a medical expert. But she constantly appears on various different broadcasting uh, outlets, not on this one, and she's never been on my show, and I think I will put her on it. But basically, um, even scientists have now said she was the wrong choice, they shouldn't have done it, and it was over-biased. Let's talk to Brendan O'Neill, Chief Political Writer at Spike. Uh, Brendan, a very good afternoon to you. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, very well indeed. I remember thinking, um, as soon as they went to her after that press conference, well, that's the most ridiculous choice of a person to interview that I've ever seen, because surely to God, what you would have wanted was to go maybe to South Africa to talk to somebody down there about the variant, maybe to a hospital to talk to a doctor about what was happening in the actual hospitals of this country. But instead, they go to a behavioural scientist who constantly says we should be doing more to lock everybody down. Absolutely. You know, as you're saying, shock horror, the BBC is biased. And the fact that they went to Susan Mickey, who, as you say, is a member of the Communist Party, is a well-known left winger uh, for comment on what the government was doing. I mean, it, on one level, it was unsurprising, but on another level, it's just depressing mm. because you have these prominent left wing voices who just want more and more restriction, more and more regulations. Ideally, they want us all in lockdown for the rest of time by yeah. the looks of things. And it's not surprising that someone who comes from an authoritarian communist party or who's been a member of a, an authoritarian communist party would be making the case for constant social distancing, constant mask wearing, no regard whatsoever for a small thing called freedom. Mm. So it was pretty shocking and it was pretty typical that the BBC went to her rather 
other than anyone else. Yes, but it's interesting that it's the scientists this time who are actually being critical. It's not other journalists, it's not people like me or you, it's actual scientists who are saying uh, that this was the wrong choice of guest. And a guy called Ragib Ali, Senior Clinical Research Associate at the University of Cambridge, and also Simon Clark, who we talk to quite a lot, who's a pretty straight-shooting uh, guy and certainly isn't against lockdown at all, um, just says this was, this was entirely wrong. But the thing that puzzles me, Brendan, is how many times this woman gets interviewed for, for this yeah. stuff and she's not really in any way qualified she's all over the place she's on the media all the time and uh, you know she's she's a behavioral scientist which has always struck me as a rather strange job to have you know this idea that these people have this special expert insight into human behavior yeah. as if they're studying like amoeba under a microscope right. or something it's always struck me as a very patrician form of science and she's been introduced interviewed all the time and i think the reason why is because her views chime with the liberal media's views and the liberal media has been hectoring the government for tougher regulations mm. and and whipping up fear about covid for a long time so her views which is that it's all pretty disastrous and we should distance forever and we should wear masks as as all the time in every building those views chime i think with the prejudices of some of the liberal media who also live in fear of covid mm. and want a clamp down on how people behave so it's not surprising that she gets called on so often. No, exactly right. Because it's funny, um, you probably saw, as I did at the weekend, there was a, 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 a video going around, a compilation of all the things that had been said about mask wearing from the likes of Chris Whitty and Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson and everybody else. Because at the time when they wanted to push social distancing, mask wearing wasn't thought to be important. So they kind of downplayed the importance of wearing a mask and basically said, we don't think it makes any difference. Now suddenly they want you to think that that's changed. It just doesn't add up at any level at all. You know, on the one hand, we're told that this new variant is potentially really scary and could be really transmissible and really virulent and really dangerous. And then their solution is put on a mask. Yeah. And you think it just doesn't marry right. up. You know, this is as scary as the headlines say, which I very much doubt that it is. And I'll keep my fingers crossed yeah. on that. Then obviously putting on a piece of cloth when you go shopping, but not when you go to the pub makes no sense at all. Yeah. So there's a very performative element, I think, to some of these rules. It's about the government saying, well, we're doing something. Right. And it's about ordinary people thinking, ha having this false sense of security, I think, as if when you put on a mask, you'll be safe from everything so the mask wearing in particular doesn't add up to me at all do we need tough measures or not that's the question my view is that we don't we've had rather enough of them not more than 90 percent of brits have got antibodies at one level or another we're vaccinated very well we we this is possibly a more transmissible but it could be a milder version of covid we have to just take it on the chin and see how we go mm. and take measures if things get bad. That's the kind of approach we should be taking, I think. I think so too, because never has so much been said about something of which we know so little, you know, because in the same time as saying, oh, we think it might um, be, um, uh, uh, the, the vaccines might be ineffective against the new variant. So in that case, uh, you better just have another vaccine. And you kind of go, well, that's kind of logically a bit of a fallacy, isn't it? If you're telling us that it, it, it gets around the first two, why wouldn't it get around the third, you know? Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is that the government in, and, and sections of the media are clearly addicted to worst-case scenario thinking. They're always going to the worst-case scenario. This could be a complete and utter disaster. Mm. 
And and the line that they push out is is that it's better to be safe than sorry. But that's not always the case because no. the point is that restrictions have consequences too. And restrictions, no, the, the restrictions at the moment are fairly mild, although it looks like people may have to cancel trips abroad because PCR tests are expensive and ordinary working people often can't afford that. Uh, people won't be able to visit family in certain countries because they've been added to the red list. So these are pretty severe consequences. But if the restrictions get worse or if more are enforced between now and Christmas, they have an impact too on the economy, on people's sense of mental health and mental well-being, on our sense of being members of a society. All of that stuff is interfered with by these endless mm. restrictions. So the idea that switching things off and going back to a lockdown light has no consequences at all is a complete fantasy. Mm. And we have to be careful with the measures that we take. Well, that's right. And, and much of what they've said about the PCR test coming back has actually got consequences for people. It might mean that some people now won't be able to go on holiday or won't be able to go and see their relatives or won't be able to afford to pay the extra cost that that will, that will come to because of the new rules. But more worryingly than that is the uncertainty of not knowing until yeah. the 18th of December whether it's going to get any worse or whether it's going to get any better. I think that uncertainty is absolutely key to the problem here because people feel that they're not in control of their own lives. They, we feel like we're no longer the master of our own destinies because we know that we could wake up one day and have fewer freedoms than we did the day before. Yeah. You know, liberty is being snatched away at a, at a moment's notice every time a new variant emerges. The thing is, variants of COVID are always going to emerge for the foreseeable future anyway. That's what viruses do. They mm. mutate. We can't respond like this to every new variant. And, you know, there's there's a class question here as well. The reason people like Professor Susan Mickey and many others can make these kinds of calls for strong measures or possibly even a lockdown in the future you know, they have nice lives. They can work from home. They probably live in lovely big houses with lovely big gardens. That's not the case for most people. Many people live in, in smaller conditions. They have to go out to work. Right. If they don't work, they can't make ends meet. So there's a class difference here too. And I think a lot of the kind of posh leftists who want lockdown aren't thinking of the consequences that that would have on less well-off people. Oh, of course not. And they never did think that. And they always did expect people uh, who were around them doing things for them to, to move around. You know, even if they weren't doing it, they want the Amazon guy to come up every day with his presence. They want the, uh, the, the food delivery people, the wine delivery people. You know, everybody gets delivered, food delivered now. And it's just, it, it is a shocking state of affairs because, I mean, it's, it seems to be um, that those who think that being better to being safe than sorry, have bought the idea that you are safer if you wear a mask and if you or if you work from home. And there's not really never has been any real evidence about what it is that spreads this ghastly virus and, and why some people get it worse than others, why some people don't get it at all. I mean, you know, I've been fortunate enough that I've never had it as far as I know. Um, in all the time that I've been working and I've never been off work at all you know in terms of I've been traveling I've been on the tube I've been out I've been to Dun you know to, to shops regularly you know you would think if it was that virulent I would have come across it at some point well the thing is you're absolutely right that that you know this neglect that they have for people who have to carry on working mm. and have to go out into the world where this you know what they describe as a terrible virus is they don't mind other people going out to no. face down this virus you know the people who make their deliveries their food their the stuff they buy online you know the refuse collectors i always think about dustbin men imagine if they had been furloughed during the various lockdowns we would have called it off in an instant because society would come to a stand 
council if people who do important jobs like that keeping places clean if they stopped working then it would be a complete disaster mm. so you have all these you know comfortably off people at home lecturing the rest of us about how we behave while uh, armies of people carry on working so that they can have their comfortable lockdown mm. existences i find that really quite repulsive actually yeah. and you know, we do now have to learn to live with the virus in a meaningful way. And what that means is we've got to start seeing it like flu and cold. It will always be around. It's now part of the family of human diseases. Yes, people will get sick. Yes, we should treat people who get very sick. But that's part of life. And we can't keep bringing life to a standstill. No, they really have to get out of that habit because I think But I've spoken to quite a few people this week already uh, who have more or less said, and one of them was Dan Hodges. So so, you know that it's cutting through to people like him. It must be true that this will probably be the last time anyone believes the government, because if, in fact, this does turn out to be not very serious, people will go. Okay then, well, maybe you shouldn't have been quite so quick to do what you did. Maybe you should have waited a little while to see. But, of course, they're also under pressure from people like Susan Mickey, who are constantly saying, oh, lockdown more, lockdown faster, you know, shut everything. I think the story of the past 20 months has been exactly that, you know, huge pressure on the government to enforce tougher measures all the time. A lot of that pressure comes from sections of the media. I think that much of the media has behaved shamefully over the COVID era. You know, they're just constantly pressing for regulations, not asking sufficient questions about the impact of those regulations on the economy, on health, on undiagnosed cancers, on children's education. Lots of children are far behind in their education now. They don't think about those consequences and often they don't think about them because they don't have to. You know, their children, as we know from statistics, privately educated children or children who went to more middle class schools got a good education while schools were closed, while many kids who went to state schools did not get a good education. So again and again, the class divide is widening all the time. Government and others are not thinking about the consequences these measures have on everyday people. And that's why we can't carry on like this. We can't keep jumping at shadows, bringing back restrictions. We have to live with the virus, get on with life, and I would say cancel all restrictions. Well, I mean, this is the thing, and a lot of people, and some of the medical people are saying if it is um, a weaker form of COVID and if it is more transmissible, then that means it's a good piece of news because it means that the mutation is now going in the right direction, i.e., you know, more people can get it, but less people will actually be ill. Yeah, and but, you know, I, I was reading some of that and I was thinking this is so revealing because you're not allowed to have good news stories these days. No. Everything has to be a bad news story. Everything has to be about doom and terror and the horrors of the future so there is there is this addiction to apocalyptic mm. thinking you know the end of the world is always just around the corner we saw that with cop 26 as well of yeah. course you know the climatic end of the world now we have the covid induced end of the world always you know a, a, a moment's notice away so there is this apocalyptic uh, sense amongst the government itself and significant sections of the media and that's the thing i think people are tiring of they're tiring of living in a society where we're constantly told that we're at risk, yeah. doom, you know, doom could befall us any minute. People, that's very wearying to hear that it really all is. the time. It really is. I mean, I was listening to another radio station at the weekend, mistakenly, and uh, they were banging on about the storm as if it was some kind of apocalyptic, you know, event, which was, you know, about to sweep the north of England and kill thousands of people. I mean, that was the tone in which the reports were being made. And I just thought, you know, it's a storm. Yeah, some people have been hurt. A couple of people actually did die. Some trees fell down, you know, but it's hardly, you know, the, the end of the world. 
Yeah, and uh, Greens refer to it as weather of mass destruction, yes. which I think sums up apocalyptic <laughs> thinking right now. But it's true, everything that happens to society, and there are lots of, there are bad things that happen. There are bad storms, there are bad viruses, mm. there are terrible accidents, of course there are, but everything gets filtered through this apocalyptic lens. Mm. So everything has to be a sign of end times. You know, the Green Movement is yeah. the is the world leader at interpreting events through that lens. What these people often neglect to mention is that life has improved enormously for the vast majority of people who do not live at the mercy of nature in the way that we used to. No. Uh, they don't die at a young age from uh, easily treated viruses or abscesses or other sicknesses. No. We now have been, we're now able to treat that. We've got to start looking on the good side. You know, the good news is that we live in a more comfortable, healthier, wealthier society than we ever did before. And the doom mongers, I think what the doom mongers are doing, especially the COVID doom mongers, they're really pressing onto people this sense that we are vulnerable, we're at risk, it's not safe to go outside. Your fellow citizen is a potential vector of disease. It's just spreading this yeah. dread and this distrust. Mm. And, and we're getting locked into a spiral of doom and we've got to find a way out of it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Very well said, Brendan. Thank you so much. Brendan O'Neill, Chief Political Writer at Spiked, with a very good take on the way society uh, is constantly catastrophizing everything. That's not what we do here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. That is not what we do at all. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.